0: Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Northern Agenda podcast, your weekly instalment of analysis and chat about the political stories that matter for the North of England. I'm Rob Parsons, a journalist based in Leeds, and I write the daily Northern Agenda politics newsletter for Reach PLC, the people behind the Manchester Evening News and Newcastle Chronicle It's been a bad week of economic news on inflation and interest rates for Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives as they prepare for four unwanted by-elections, including one not far from Mr. Sunak's own North Yorkshire patch in Selby and Ainsty. In the north of England, there are plans for a new government-backed organisation to help grow the region's economy, attract more foreign investment and act as one external voice for the region. But the issue of sewage in our lakes and rivers has reared up again with large parts of Lancashire's coastline now not suitable for swimming after a storm overwhelmed our Victorian sewage systems. You should really stick around for our guest this week. It's Catherine Fletcher, the Conservative MP for South Ribble, that's the bit of Lancashire under Preston, talking about why we should be focusing on more than just big boys' train sets when talking about transport links and why a mayor like Andy Burnham might not be the answer for her home county of Lancashire. But first, let's take a look at some of this week's more interesting politics stories with a brilliant Northern journalist who's made his name in London, Kevin Maguire, Associate Editor at the Daily Mirror. Originally from South Shields in the North East, he's a Sunderland supporter through his sins and a frequent contributor to the likes of Good Morning Britain and other TV shows. Kevin, welcome along. Uh, Great to be with you, Rob. Nice to have you on. Now, the first thing that we should talk about, given that we're recording this early afternoon on Thursday, is what's going on with the economy. So I think that is going to be the subject that's going to dominate political debate for months to come. Just a few minutes ago, the Bank of England unexpectedly pushed up interest rates to 5% in what was the sharpest hike since February in a bid to control persistent inflation. The bank said the 0.5 percentage point hike was required because wage growth and services inflation, indicators which policymakers watch closely, are still very high, too high. And the Bank of England governor Andrew Bailey has warned that further rate rises could be required if inflation stays stubbornly high. So obviously, Kevin, neither of us are economists, but we uh, I think it is possible to talk about the the politics of this, which is kind of obvious, isn't it, I guess, in that, I mean, this is terribly bad news, isn't it, for the Conservatives, the for the next few months, mortgage holders, and even people who rent, uh, who might be affected by the knock-on effects of Mortgage hikes are going to be paying out more than they would previously. This is there's no there's no good way to spin this, is there?
1: No, um, Rob. I'll have you know, I got an A in my A level economics, and uh, oh also- well,
0: I'm, I'm not giving you enough credit, are
1: I also studied it as part of my politics degree in York, but no. <laughs> We're not economists, but we do know that uh, rising interest rates are bad for you if you borrow, if you have a car loan, a credit card debt, a mortgage, you run a business, you're going to have to pay more to borrow. Uh, This is going to level down the north. It's not going to level it up. Because there's a twin hammer blow now of inflation, which is stuck at 8.7%. And I couldn't believe it when it didn't fall this week. I took a double take when I saw the figures, Thing has it really not come down after it was predicted to do. And then going up a full half point to 5% is going to really hurt people. And we now risk... Uh, going into recession, we thought we we're going to escape it. We now risk it because, in order to uh, cure inflation, the government is trying to hammer people uh, through interest rates. So you have got less to spend in shops. So shops have to cut their prices. And look, it's it's almost like voodoo economics. This you're going to be you're going to be damaged whichever uh, way it it happens. It's politically disastrous for Rishi Sunak and the UK Conservative government, but more importantly, is going to really, really hurt people. And the Resolution Foundation, uh, it's a think tank, got a very good track record, looks after people on low and middle incomes, says the mortgage hit is going to be about £2,900 on average for a family when they remortgage. Uh, Keir Starmer, Prime Minister's Questions, Labour leader used it as a, t- a Tory mortgage penalty, he, he called it. And yep, it's, it's politically bad, but more importantly, it's gonna wreck the finances of families and some small businesses, actually some big businesses too, because people who borrowed when lending was cheap and are really just gonna get crucified, really nailed to the cross of higher interest rates.
0: There was an interesting comment by, I think, one of Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's economic advisors uh, earlier this week on on the BBC. He was saying that really the only way out of this, as he alluded to, is a recession, basically. Obviously, everyone thinks a recession, that's a terrible thing to happen. But actually, Jeremy Hunt and the Bank of England, in some ways, that's a desirable outcome for them, because that is the only way to stop people spending, to stop wages increasing, has got people asking for more money, which is what is in driving driving this inflation in the first place. So I mean that that's a, a really bad position to be in, isn't it? And it means that there's no end in sight for the foreseeable future. Like we're talking about maybe 2025 before interest rates and mortgage rates start coming down again.
1: Yeah, but it's got to be crazy Tory nomics. when Andrew Bailey, the, the governor of the Bank of England, said 80%, 80% of the pressure for rising inflation initially was from abroad, uh, not least uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, which sent world food, gas and oil prices soaring. So the pressures are coming there externally. You're clobbering people Internally, you say they're concerned about their cost of living uh, and their, their living standards. Well, yeah, inflation eats into that one undoubtedly. But to bring that down, you say you're then going to increase the cost of borrowing and and crash the economy and push it into recession. It just it just seems actually that the. The, the cure can be worse than the disease itself. If you're going to do it this way round, I think it's kind of time to hold your nerve. And there's a lot of criticism: the Bank of England not acting early enough on inflation. That means didn't put up interest rates uh, fast enough. But now they seem to be going up and up and up and up, and inflation is still still stuck. I just I just wonder if you've just got it completely the way around and you know traditional economic thinking is is rather basic and sometimes not uh, not appropriate there's no doubt we got a bigger problem in the uk than france or germany the eurozone or the us on inflation G, the g7 countries as a whole we we got higher uh, higher rates but i'm just not sure I, I really just don't think hitting people like this uh, would Mortgages going up, all your other other lendings likely to, your credit card and your bank loans, your car loan, whatever it is. I'm just not sure it is the cure. And it can just actually make the that cost of living crisis even
0: worse, not better. Let's turn to a different subject, perhaps not one that affects quite so many people, but it's still a big one if you live by the seaside or if you ever fancy swimming in the sea, or if you live even near a a river, sewage overflows into onto our beaches and rivers has been a big topic for the last few months, notably uh, helped by Fergal Sharkey, former frontman for the Undertones, who is now a a noted environmental campaigner and has drawn attention to just how much sewage gets pumped into our waterways whenever there's a storm or even, even when there's not. This week, the Environment Agency has advised anyone who is at the seaside in Lancashire, so Blackpool, places like that, not to go in the sea because for the last seven days there's been sewage uh, in the in the water, and that is because there was a big storm about a week ago. The sewage system overflowed, and there is also uh, urgent repairs going on to a pipe that sort of helps connect the sewage treatment system to the to, to the sea. So it, it's not a great situation. And United Utilities, which is the water company concern, is in fact the company that pumps the most sewage into our waterways of any utilities firm in the country. I mean, again, this is another very damaging one for the Conservative Party. And I, I saw a while ago, Therese Coffee, the Environment Secretary, almost sort of admitted defeat on, on this and said, well, this is such a big long term problem to solve, that it's going to it's going to be a while before things get better, which is not the hopeful, optimistic note one might have might have hoped for. I mean, do we just have to get used to wading through sewage if we're going to uh, go for a swim in our, in, our, in our beaches and rivers these days?
1: Yeah, if only Therese Coffey, the Environment Secretary, if only her party could have been in power for 13 years and she could have been a minister and latterly a cabinet minister uh, for for much of that time. If only they could have done something about it. They, nothing shows how water privatization has failed than sewage on beaches and in rivers and in lakes. And people are fed up with it. And Fergal Sharky, the, formerly the undertones, he's moved on from his teenage kicks now to become a clean water campaigner. He's incredibly effective about it and it's come up the political agenda. and. Uh, Blackpool is, and apologies now to Scarborough and Brighton and Bournemouth and Skeggy and my own South Shields, but Blackpool is the country's premier holiday resort on the seaside. That is, to be told you can't go in the sea because it's full of sewage. Right? It's utterly appalling. And yes, there are other good reasons you can still go to go to Blackpool and the council leader, Lynn Williams, I just thought sounded a, a beacon of controlled rage as she criticised United Utilities. Um, it's, it's, there's just no excuse for it. As Fergal sharply pointed out, United, or he claimed, United Utilities last year paid 300 million to its shareholders. They, they kind of cash to give to those who buy a stake in it, investors and so on, but they don't spend the money on protecting the environment and not putting sewage in our water should be a basic function of a water company. They were privatised at the, the end of the 1980s and the Thatcher period without any debt whatsoever. They were essentially given away. Now they've piled up the debt, they've paid out a fortune, and they just haven't invested the money. And, of course, their latest plan to invest money so we don't get um, turds in our, you know, in our bathing water is to somehow charge us more. When they're, when they're actually soaking us for a basic service they do not deliver. So I think it's absolutely, absolutely appalling. And Blackpool, the people who live it in it and people who visit it and that bit of the Lancashire coast shouldn't have to suffer this. If ever Labour should come up with a nationalisation programme, it should be this. I, I don't know why uh, Keir Starmer's abandoned it, the, the pledge under, uh, under Jeremy Corbyn, because it would just be hugely popular because people are just at the end of their tether. They just think these companies are just messing us around. And they won't fix it uh, until they're, they're taken over, and then it just becomes their, their raise on Deborah. That's why they're run. Therese Coffey, the Environment Secretary, good if she likes, she could issue an enforcement order. She could fine them quite heavily, but she doesn't. Uh, she, just, she just lets them get away with polluting our waterways. And United Utilities is, is, the, is the
0: worst, but it's not the only one. It occurs to me, Kevin, that on both of these issues i mean that they 're both in, in their way quite complicated issues, and there 's a lot going on under the surface if you excuse the excuse the pun but um, is it fair to say that on both of these issues it 's not entirely clear what labor would do differently if they were in power right now? i mean I know on so for example on inflation on on interest like Rachel Reeves has been. Talking today about giving more immediate support to those who are struggling the most, but it's not clear in terms of you know big uh, you know fiscal measures or whatever whether they would do anything different. And I, I, I must admit, I don't know what their policy is on what Labour's policy is on sewage in the water. Whether they would uh, do something radically different to what the Conservatives are doing at the moment.
1: I think they're sticking plasters on uh, on gaping wounds now. Uh, uh, interest rates going up is, 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 tr- is trickier to, to resolve. You could put pressure on the Bank of England not to, not to do it. Uh, Rachel Reeves is going to put pressure on banks and building societies to, for instance, um, allow you to switch to uh, just an interest-only mortgage. So you stop repaying some of your, your capital. You have at least six months notice before you could be repossessed. Uh, there are you know there are ways of uh, alleviation but it wouldn't solve the the fundamental problem of that interest rates are going to be too high when people borrowed uh incre- incredibly cheaply and you know the ratio between house prices and and earnings is ma- is massive now it's just not like it was back in the in the 80s when interest rates went up to 15 percent then you you basically had uh, one to two and a half three times your earnings you know, your, your earnings to your property prices now People right around the country, up north uh, as, as well as in the in the south of England, haven't a borrow a much much bigger ratios, so they're they're at risk. Um, on war on water, I think Labour could come up with a very simple um, solution and just say, right, it's public ownership, and then you're going to stop paying all that money in, in profits, dividends going out of the sector, and you invest them, and you just require water companies. To build the capacity, so when there is a storm, the overflow will be contained rather than just being going through pipes. Uh, you know, you can you can have like one of those overflow pipes in your house, on the, in your bathroom, uh, you know, just in case uh, you, you, your your cistern on your loo over overflows, it'll just drip down your wall. Well, essentially, that's what the sewage companies are doing now, but it's uh, it's filthy water. Now uh, you can just build the capacity, and yeah, okay if. If you get the rain that uh, launched Noah's Ark, it might be difficult to contain. But you should have a big enough capacity for storms, and, and they don't. And it's because water companies have never been required to to stop these these massive sewage leaks, which is what they really are. Um, now, Labour, what would they do? I think they they I think they would use uh, existing powers more strongly, in issuing enforcement notices, and I think they'd be more eager to fine the water companies and you can impose tougher regulations. So they would they would make some difference, but unless you just say, right, you can't do this anymore, then it'll just It'll just keep on happening. It'll just be rare, and it might you know, might be Black Blackpool next time, and it might be Whitby. Uh, it could be more. It could be. It could be somewhere else.
0: I'd always fly the flag for Robin Hood's Bay, which is a, a delightful uh, little fishing village on the North Yorkshire coast. But unfortunately, the water there is also uh, had a, a, a no swimming warning issued on it. So it's not just. Not, not, not just Blackpool. Unfortunately, it's just intolerable. I know Robin Hood's Bay It's picturesque. It's, it's kind of picture
1: postcard. But you you, know, you, you see it on a box of chocolates, or biscuits, or you know, get a jigsaw of
0: it. Not when they're serious in the water. No, I, it, uh,
1: Robin Hood's beer deserves better than the. I let say shits who are running the
0: water industry and polluting it. Let's move on to a, a more positive final. Final topic. Uh, move away from the, uh, the the ills that blight our our nation for a nice feel good story about your native uh, northeast. And there's a, a, a local author who you've uh, you've you've tweeted about, uh, Glenda Young, who is funding. It's a really nice gesture, actually, funding uh, a scholarship to a local university to help help a young writer. How, how did you become interested in in that one?
1: Yeah, the University of Sunderland, where I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'm a I'm a visiting professor, but. Uh, Glenda Glenda Young uh, left school at 15 uh, and went to, went to the uni as a mature student and got a got a big break in in life in a way and uh, she was doing coronation street uh, blogs because she's a big soap fan and got a work placement with with ITV and is now a best-selling author she's written uh eight sort of uh, historical sagas set in, in riot which is a, a former pit village in in the northeast it's you know when you're writing these books, you need a, a sense of place for people, and she writes his historical novels there. Things you know, titles like uh, you know, Bell of the Back Streets, and uh, she's also been writing you know what, what she calls a uh, cosy crime thrillers in uh, in Scarborough, and she was um, shortlisted for a prize alongside Richard Osmond and uh, Val uh, McDermott. So you can see the uh, you know the um, you know, the company she she keeps, but she just wants to give something back, and I, I think it's absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, it's a two thousand pound scholarship for somebody going to the university. They'll also get mentoring from them. So if they've got any flair, any interest in writing, she will help help them. Um, I did call her and say, "You do realise you're uh, launching your rivals? Is this really sensible? <laughs> People might start buying their books rather than yours." And of course, she she laughed because she's confident. She's confident in her own writing, but um, it it is just that idea of not forgetting where you started how it was hard and tough and hoping to help somebody on the way too and you know just respect to her for that it's it's it's, it's just very nice that
0: sounds like a, it sounds like leveling up in action if you were if you were going to frame it in a political a political way if, if only we had a gunman who could think about that and actually put it into action wouldn't that be nice well we'll hear more about that in our next interview but uh kevin mcguire thank you so much
1: Thank you, Rob, and uh, don't go into the water. (laughs) It's not safe, it's not sharks, it's something worse than
0: that. So we've all heard of levelling up, the aim of spreading opportunity outside London and the South East and better utilising the talent that exists in Northern England but hasn't yet seen its full potential. So I was interested to see this week the launch in London of a book called Leveling Up 2.0, a blueprint for the future by the policy institute Curia, where Michael Gove, the cabinet minister in charge of the project, gave a keynote speech. Could it be a sign that the concept, which was on everyone's lips when Boris Johnson was prime minister, maybe needs some fresh impetus to get it back on the political agenda? I'm really pleased to have as my guest on the podcast today, one of the Northern MPs who contributed a chapter to the book, and it's called Critical Links, Where Transport Will Drive Us to Thrive. Catherine Fletcher, uh, who wrote that chapter, is the Conservative MP for South Ribble in Lancashire and served, admittedly briefly, as a Transport Minister in the Liz Press Premiership. So a great guest to have on to talk about transport links in the North. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hiya, Rob. Thanks for having us. Just to start with, on the the point that I mentioned in the intro, uh, the idea of levelling up 2.0, I guess, sort of implies that levelling up 1.0 has happened and perhaps has maybe run out of steam a bit or needs a bit of a a refresh. I mean, is that that your, would that be your view that we need to give levelling up a bit more uh, of a boost to sort of get it back up the agenda again?
2: Well, so I'm going to actually take you back even further. So I didn't, I was in business. I joined. I didn't join politics till I was in my late thirties, about twenty thirteen, and I joined to deliver a Northern powerhouse. And I think that is there's an interesting conversation to be had about what a Northern powerhouse is and how that sits in the broader arc of Leveling Up. And whilst there are some themes in common, I think there are some differences as well. So we were briefly together at the Northern Research Group conference the other week, and. And uh, George Osborne, who invented that phrase because he was in the powerhouse hall at Manchester and he he, he thought it was a really good way of doing it. Um, But he was was rekindling an idea, which is our great cities of the north, if you connect them together, you make them a more interconnected unit, then you have got something that's like truly global in scale. And it's an enormous opportunity for us to grow. And I drunk that Kool-Aid in my 30s and I'm still pushing for it. Leveling up is a really interesting expansion of that kind of regional opportunity idea. Because, in, in, you know, we are the northern cities, are, we're the biggest economic opportunity for growth that the country's got. You know, give us a fishing rod, you know, don't give us a fish, give us a fishing rod, and off we'll go. And I think leveling up has got a lot of the measures within that. So I don't, I think it's a continuer. I don't, I, you know, has it failed? Has it started? I, I think they're almost sides. But the thing that Leaven Up does do is say, well, actually, Devon and Cornwall, you know, perhaps doesn't have exactly the same um, uh, uh, services, education, aspiration, opportunity as London the South East has, or North Wales. Is North Wales actually really part of the same economic unit as Liverpool and Manchester, whereas Cardiff is in the same economic unit as Bristol? And I think you can start to get a bit blurry. But, what i was doing along with a load of other colleagues for this book is basically just taking like a theme and exploring it and saying what does what does it look like how do we make it happen how do we measure it and so i was doing transport because i'm an engineer's daughter and i get quite passionate about it so the so i'm going to be a politician that actually tries to answer your question which is i don't think you should be saying we've had to relaunch it i think it's a continuer we've we've been failed by both types of government for 50 years and you're not going to change it like that but you, the the effort is worth the juice that's going to come out the other end of it in my opinion and i bet in yours as well
0: yeah I, no, I think so i like the northern research group conference we are both at and other similar conferences that i go to all the time transport perhaps along with skills is like the one the main thing that people talk about as being important and it's, it's interesting you mentioned the the northern powerhouse uh, as an idea versus levelling up my sort of interpretation of the difference is that the northern powerhouse concept was more focused on cities and that if you grow the economy of manchester and leeds then hopefully the other areas around around it will will benefit whereas levelling up is perhaps more focused on the bits between the cities uh, and the bits a bit further a bit further out.
2: Yes and no, to be honest. So the Northern Powerhouse is about describing a massive economic opportunity. you know you get you put this investment in and this is the growth that comes back. and I think it has to be more than Leeds and Manchester to get that global scale. But, I mean, uh, Devon and Cornwall, absolutely love it. Devon and Cornwall needs levelling up. You know, that there, there are important things to do there. But there is no world where there are four or five big cities in Devon and Cornwall that if you connected them together with improved public transport could genuinely become a, globally rival, a global rival, you know, unlike perhaps some of the industrial areas in, in Germany around uh, Munich and stuff. So I think they're two mutually exclusive things. I think levelling up is about pride in place. It's about improved access, hub and spoke models. I argue in my book that you can give it a big boost by just joining up what we've got better and quicker and thinking about it in a, in a, a slightly more strategic way. You know. So I, I, can I give you an example?
0: Yes, please do.
2: So if you're a lad, and I'm, I'm deliberately not going to try and talk about South Ripple too much because, you know, I've had to unilaterally rename it down here because everybody gets slightly glassy-eyed, panic-eyed and doesn't know where it is. So I've renamed it, you know, the bit under Preston, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> which
2: then removes some of the more... It's quite helpful,
0: guys. even for people in the north, I think that yes. would be... Uh, South that, Ripple, you know, the, you
2: know, the bit under Preston. Right. So, so, but I don't want to talk about that too much, but there are some themes that just run true across... Really broad areas, even down to like Nottingham, Derby, and the East Midlands, where I went to uni. And um, and so, if you are not in a major city, um, so there was a lad from Tower Hamlets who was asking me questions at the Leveling Up thing, saying, "Aren't you going to detract from London?" I said, "Well, actually," he said, "I'm from Tower Hamlets." I said, "Brilliant. You if you're in Tower Hamlets and you can get to the poshest part of London to take an opportunity." The difference is we can't get there. So say you're a lass or a lad that's kitchen fitting because, you know, you enjoyed yourself between 18 and 25 or whatever and, you know, did it properly. But now perhaps think, right, I want to take advantage of like the lifetime skills guarantee. You haven't got any A-levels. Government's going to give you a few grand to go and get qualification. The only way you're getting to the kitchen fitting job is because the guy or girl in the white transit van is picking you up. The bus service probably doesn't get you on time. You'll be incredibly lucky if you've got a train service that gets you there. And so you're going to the job. So if you haven't got a car or you haven't got access to come some kind of expensive personalised transport, how are you going to get to the college? And, and what worries me is, you know, sometimes people are saying, well, I need to get to work. I need to get to college. You know, and they're spending 150 quid on a three series roundover without an MOT or insurance to try and take an opportunity. And I think there is a role, levelling up to me, is making sure that people don't get forced into those slightly invidious choices about accessing education and accessing work, which is give you a lift, you know, do something perhaps you shouldn't, or get stuck on a bus that's really late and doesn't turn up. And I think there's a huge amount we can do to make those very basic things work better. You know, make sure the last bus doesn't go before the last train gets in. That kind of stuff. And so I had a bit of a wang on about it in my chapter. But it's not. Everyone thinks it's the big stuff. It's it's big boys with big train sets. Don't get me wrong. That's important. But the usability of transport to allow people to access opportunities. And for the flip side, you know, busy, lots. Of, I'm sure you get lots of businesses coming and talking to you, say we're really struggling to recruit you know, we can't get sparkies, we need these types of apprentices, giving them better transport links, that means that they can get more people to come to work in their business within, say, like 40 minutes travel and hours travel. That's an economic boost. We, you know, that's levelling up as much as it is about making sure your high street isn't covered in concrete If
0: If we could make that change and make that happen, that would be great. But how do we about it because if you look across across the north and i i imagine it's true to some extent in your patch as well like local bus services are really struggling at the moment and like in the northeast for example it looks like they're going to be cut by sort of 10 to 20 percent because patronage levels haven't risen to what they were before the pandemic and so if it would be great if we could have services that could reliably get people to their places of employment or where they're going to get trained but how do we get from where we are at the moment, where that is not happening to you know, the ideal scenario that you're, that you're talking about?
2: Uh, I think the first way you get there is by some kind of northern engineering brains actually doing quite a lot of hard yards thinking. You know, I don't, the, this is not something that you can draft out in a press release and bang up on a wall and say we've fixed it. But, it, you know, if you go to South Ribble, right. So we've got buses, but they have become slightly kind of hoppers for um, perhaps older people. Um, to go and pick their prescriptions up. So their routes are designed to cover the the, the services that are subsidised. They're not necessarily going to the local trading estate or thinking about connecting up to existing public transport. They're more kind of, you know, how to get into the village and pick up a prescription. And they are rightly subsidised by local councils because that's an important utility service. You've got to flip that to, I'm going to work on the bus. So you, there's a thing called the Bus Service Improvement Plan and Lancashire, Lancashire County Council are really good at this, actually. They went and they said, right, what, what's stopping people using the bus? You don't know when it's turning up. You're stood at a bus stop. You've got no idea. If it's one an hour, it's a long time to wait if you've just missed it and you don't know. So they got money from the government to retrofit transponders on the buses when you know where the bus is, you can give it like a London style app. So I can sit in my house. It's not there, it's coming because it's a big refit job. But I want to be able to sit in my house and go, right, okay, so the bus that goes through on the way to Preston, it should be, the timetable says it's due at 22. But I can tell from my app that it's actually five minutes late. So I won't go and stand on the road for another extra five minutes in, you know, our delightful northern weather. So that makes it usable. So it's bits of, you know, you can improve there. But there's also things like we've got bits of stuff that's just been left to drift. So we have a train station where the train stops at a, at a platform and passengers can't get on and off because beaching shut the, shut the train station. It's called Midge Hall. You know, literally, they stop to exchange a token next to a platform. And there's, so book it too. So it's do the simple stuff, book it too to fix it is I, th- I think we need a, a level of investment that's between the really big stuff that DFT does, you know, Department of Transport does, and the much smaller stuff that the councils can do. It's like a 15 to 100 million pound project type. But I think we need to get, restoring your railways was a really good example of that. And I think we need to do more of it. You know, So we applied, midhall Hall didn't get it, but those type of things. And then I think the third one, Is about local leadership and empowerment because the reason we've got that gap with the second one is because perhaps we are we're too centralized and I think it shows massively in transport I think that's the place where it's most obvious you know we hub and spoke into London um, you know uh, uh, the the place where public transport works best is the place with the most direct line local leadership Um, uh, you know not many people know, but um, Michael Portillo and Sir Graham Stringer signed off Manchester's MetroLink, like back in the nineties. And you know, uh, you know, people tend to forget that Mister Trains himself was involved in that. But look what it's done for Manchester over the years. It's now expanded, and you know, you look at Manchester's economic growth latest set. And it's is it only but is it ahead of London and only just behind Reading? It's it's in that. Is in, so you, there's your proof. Invest in transport infrastructure over decades in a, in a non-partisan way, and look what's happening with Manchester's economy. And it, it, I think I think it's very fair to say it starts with MetroLink. Let's do a bit more of that. You know, um, like not all conservatives think it's wonderful that we have a mayor in Manchester and a mayor in Liverpool. Because of the politics of it, but it's a conservative government that has created the roles. You know, the Labour Party never devolved that power, and um, and but look what it's doing having a having a single office that's focused on a a big subregion. Bit more of that, I think, is the answer. I mean, can you tell them actually trying to answer your question?
0: I, I can, I can, and it, it it leads me on to the next question, which is: so does that mean a mayor? like like Andy Burnham or Ben Houchin or Andy Street is the answer for Lancashire because I'm I'm sitting in Leeds recording recording this and I never mind I find it hard to get my head a little bit around sometimes the local politics of Lancashire and why the different bits can't always agree with each other and one of the manifestations of this seems to be the failure to uh, sort of sort out a devolution deal for Lancashire and 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 potentially get a mayor so I, I perhaps you can explain why why this hasn't happened yet yeah,
2: I, I i i will not attempt to but i don't think i don't but i think local empowerment and a mayor are not one and the same thing i think it works for cities i think it works less well for counties but um so but Philippa Williamson, who is the leader of Lancashire County Council, she's got a Lancashire 2050 vision where she's off talking to her government saying devolve us this power, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of funding, and she's put together something that says rather than try to fix the local government system, sod that, let's just create a deal that allows our existing local government system to feed in by negotiation because it's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of investment into Lancashire you know let's just let's put our rosettes at the door boys and girls and you know that 20 it's got lots of broad support across um you know the unitaries in Blackburn and Blackpool um and the and the uh, districts I know they're not all unanimous but I'd encourage them to really think positively about what working together can get for us for investment because um when we go to London we're all still from Lancashire does that make sense?
0: It does make sense, and so regardless of the you know the governance of it, is it your view that uh, a sort of franchising type system where whoever is in charge, whether it's a a mayor or a leader or a cabinet or whatever, they have control over the routes and the the timetables and the the, the ticket prices? for buses rather than operators? Because obviously that's what's happening in Greater Manchester, but other areas are not, not, so, not so keen on that. I,
2: I understand why that's superficially attractive. I think it's a bit of a 20th century solution. To I think, you know, technology is transforming our lives. You know, there's lots of talk of AI at the moment. You know, I talked about putting transponders on buses. The, the idea that you have to be the person that's signing the accounts off, as is the person that controls how they connect up, I think that's a bit old, if I'm honest. I think as long as you're setting a set of criteria, which is to say, to have a commercial bus route, you must have a transponder on and your information must talk to this app, which can be held centrally or, you know, you know much like TFL's is. I prefer that model because the, the businesses is a great example in Bolton. Um, where I, I can't, I, I won't name it just exactly, just in case I get any of it wrong and somebody wants to shoot me. But basically the local businesses on a big trading estate didn't have a bus service. So they tootled down to the bus provider and said, uh, could we have a service, please? We will part fund it for six months. You know, if it's not commercially viable for you after that, then whoops, you've not lost too much. But all of our staff are saying they can't get in. Cracking on now, crack it on. And I wouldn't want to lose the ability for that to happen. Because I think we've got so far to travel. I think we need an all-comers approach. It's not just state, it's not just local government, it's not just private business. It has to be all of it. And I think um, and I think you are I think it is easier to have the ladies and gentlemen, there's your rosette, please park it, conversation in a in a smaller regional area. Like a, a count, like a county deal, like the Lancashire Twenty Fifty Vision. I think I think you get more done.
0: Catherine, I'm going to just before we finish the interview, I was going to ask you something that's related to Leveling Up and what we've been talking about. Boris Johnson, who obviously the Leveling Up phrase was popularised by him in the 2019 election when you were elected as well. Obviously, while you were talking at this book launch on Monday, the debate was going on about whether MPs back to the Privileges Committee uh, report which said he lied to Parliament. I'm interested in your assessment of Boris Johnson's sort of legacy for places like yours in the north of England, in in South Has Was Boris Johnson's premiership and its sort of Increased focus on on the north. A good has that ended up being a good thing for people in your in your patch? Do you think?
2: Um, I so I actually helped Osborne set up the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. I was only the office girl, but in in, you know, it was nothing fancy. But in doing that, I came across Boris, and and Boris at that time really understood the opportunity and the pride in place, and was searching around for a phrase to evolve it into something broader. You give him credit for that. I mean. In terms of practical action, we have we we were we got a town deal for Leyland. So everyone's heard of Leyland Trucks, you know, since the big works went. It is a bit of a, you know, there is a factory in the middle of town right behind the market that has literally got Budliers growing out of it, bang in the middle of the town when the office is. And we got 25 million from the town deal. Now, to put that into context, it's roughly twice the amount of money that the local district council gets In total council tax revenues, so it's like two years worth of council tax for that to transform that town centre. And it was, and it was, put a bid in and get businesses and locals together. Say what you want, if it's good enough, you get the cash. And that, um, I will. When we just need to get the asbestos out and the spades in the ground and a new market, and whatever happens in the next. 10, 20, you know, however many years I'm still on the planet, I am going to drive past that and say I helped to do that under his prime ministership. And and when you see the kids playing in the fountains and the old ladies having a cup of tea, because it's the type of stuff that actually really makes a difference day to day. There's other stuff I could talk about, but I don't think you can hear I actually really mean it.
0: I mean, it is clear that is a thing that, yeah, Leyland will have uh, for... A long time going forward and uh, I guess I should ask did did you agree with the privileges committee report about about him like do you do you think it was it was
2: right I'm down as an abstain because I was actually basically going on about this stuff and I do genuinely think this much more important um so I I you know I probably could have legged it back in from that event if I was desperate to but I I nobody normal cares about this stuff They want us to get on with the job. And so I just got, you know, I got on with the job. I was presenting on the panel. You know, that's why we're having this chat. So I I, I abstained with it. I think some of it's absolutely spot on. I think some of it may be, but I'm not. It's it's politics. It's not what people actually, it's not what I joined to do. It's not what people want us to do. Brenda from Bristol's right. There's too much of this politics going around.
0: (laughs) Well, I wonder what Brenda from Bristol would make of, everything that's going on at the moment. Fucking journalists. ever since she got box popped and is regressing it for the rest of her time. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure she absolutely is. Well, um, Catherine Fletcher, thank you so much for speaking to me today.
2: No, cheers, Rob, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I hope my opinions have treated your listeners' ears.
0: Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk it's more important than ever for northern voices to be heard the northern agenda is a laudable production for reach it's presented by me rob parsons and it's produced by daniel j mccoughlin if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the northern agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts including apple and spotify also check out the other laudable podcasts see you next week bye-bye